This morning, we continue our Advent series by looking at the book of Psalms. Now, many of the Psalms are attributed to David, but, but this, this isn't one of them. This Psalm was written by Ethan the Ezraite. But it is about David, or at least it is written about the promise, or the covenant that God made with David. And so the pen of the poet is another voice of the promise that we see in Scripture. It's another voice that tells us of the coming Messiah, the, the king in the manger, the savior of the world. And yet this voice is not happy with God. He is angry. He's, he's frustrated. He is hurt. He feels abandoned. The holiday season is, is billed as a time of, of cheer, a time of happiness, a time of goodwill toward men. We give each other gifts. We are encouraged to spend time with family, with people that we love and that love us back. And yet for many, this is a season of pain. For many, this is a season of remembered loss. Ethan the Ezraite is experiencing some of this pain, this loss. And so he is crying out to God in our psalm this morning. Hearing Ezra's cry of frustration and it, it resonating, understanding it, and echoing it in my own ways. And then knowing the ultimate answer that God provided was an encouragement and a blessing to me as I worked through this text this week, and I pray that it will also be an encouragement and a blessing to you. Psalm 89. It's a long psalm. It's 52 verses, so we aren't going to read all of it for our text this morning, but we will be coming back to you and, and hitting some key parts as we move through the service. But our text this morning will be the first four verses. Let us read the word of the Lord together. Psalm 89, verses 1 to 4. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make known your, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever. And make your throne firm through all generations. Ascends the reading of the word. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. I pray that you would speak through your word this morning. That you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. I pray this in your name. Amen. During the Christmas season, there is, there is such an emphasis on family. So many of the movies, the stories associated with this time of year are about being with family for the holidays. Living in New Jersey and having the vast majority of our family in, in Washington State, it can, it can sometimes feel like salt in the wound seeing all of these, these movies, these storylines. Like the season is just rubbing it in that we are unable to spend this time with our extended family. One of our boys asked me if we'd be able to visit Washington again, and, and I told him that we would. I promised them that a plan was in place for him to go and play with his cousins and bake cookies with his grandmas and wrestle with his grandpas. For Christmas? He asked me excitedly. No, not, not for Christmas. And his face fell. 
This was not the answer that he wanted, not the answer that he had been hoping for. But we will go back and visit Washington's son. I, I promise. We will. And though I could see the excitement in the back of his eyes, the hope and the anticipation of that visit, it was mostly covered up by the disappointment written clearly by the expression on his face. He wanted it now. He wanted it when it was, it was supposed to happen for the holidays. And though he was glad that it would someday happen, that, that it would be something we would get to do, the timing wasn't of his choosing. And he was saddened. He was, he was disappointed by that. And I mean, man, I get it. We get it. Who likes to wait in a promise that hasn't yet been kept? Who likes to wait in a promise that hasn't yet been kept? You have been promised that it is coming. You you trust the one doing the promising to keep their word. And so you have complete confidence in the reality that the promise will be kept. It's just just not going to be kept on the timetable that you would like it to be kept. Amazon boxes have been arriving on our doorstep and our boys know what that means. Christmas presents are arriving at the Stenbergs. And every morning, Silas asks, is it Christmas tomorrow? Is it Christmas tomorrow? He doesn't want to have to wait to open those boxes. He doesn't have to wait any longer for the the promise of joy that, that these packages bring. He wants them to fulfill the promise that they are making to him as soon as possible. Tomorrow is acceptable. Today would be preferable. This holiday season, what promises are you living in? What promises are you putting your hope in, your faith in? In our text this morning, Ethan, the poet, writes a song about the promises of God. He praises God for his hesed. The Hebrew word for covenant faithfulness, for loving kindness. He says he will forever sing about the promises that God made to love his people eternally and forever. He says that with his mouth, with his words and his song, he will make God's promised faithfulness known to all generations. For God's faithful love stands forever established in heaven itself, he writes. And we read in verse 3 and 4. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. This is the promise that you made David, Ethan writes. This is the promise that you made David, that his line would be established forever, that his throne would be firm, would last through all of the generations. And Ethan continues writing this way for 33 more verses, listing out the promises, the covenant that God made to Israel. And then he gets to verse 38 through 45, where we read, 
But you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been angry with your anointed one. Which here means the house of David, the Hebrew people, not just the man David himself. He writes, you have renounced the covenant with your servant and you have defiled his crown to the dust. You have broken down or broken through all of his walls and reduced his strongholds to ruins. All who pass by him have plundered him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. Indeed, you have turned back the edge of his sword and have not supported him in battle. You have put an end to his splendor and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with a mantle of shame. Hey, God, you know those promises that you made? Those those promises about establishing a line forever? A throne that would never go away? Yeah, Yeah, what happened to them? We are suffering, God. Our enemies prosper. We've become a laughingstock. This isn't the joy that you promised us. This isn't the covenant that you made with us. Not how we understood it anyway. Where is the hope? What happened to the promise? Ethan continues in in verse 46 by asking a question that resonates so loudly for me during my times of frustration with God. As I'm sure it does for some of you as well. Ethan writes, How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Oh, how that question resonates with me. How long will I be going through this, God? How long will this hurt? Why why doesn't it feel like you are here? Why doesn't it feel like you care? How long will you let this go on? How long will I have to wait in a promise that hasn't yet been answered? Will it be answered? In the animated Disney movie Beauty and the Beast, there's a scene that takes place after Belle and Beast have come to better terms. Though she is still a servant, or a prisoner, I should say, at the castle, she has been given many freedoms, and however unlikely or unprobable, there is a relationship building between these two. In this particular scene, the beast is standing on a balcony watching Belle play in the snow and tells his friends Cogworth and Lumiere that he would like to do something for Belle to express how he is feeling towards her. And Cogsworth replies, well, there's always the usual. Flowers, chocolates, and promises you don't intend to keep. I love that line. Flowers, chocolates, and promises you don't intend to keep. Does it ever feel like God has made you promises that he doesn't intend to keep? Yes, he loves you. You get that. You get that. You understand that. 
It's been drilled into us enough times. He loves us. You know, Jesus loves you is like the first song that, that we all learn in Sunday school. Like it's, we understand that. But maybe that's why he made the promises in the first place, we think. Out of love, you know, maybe when he just wants to impress us, wanting us to make, wanting to make us love him. Wanting to make us commit to him. Promises that he would be there with us. Promises that, that he would be our strength and our protection. That, that he is our, our hope and our joy. Promises that he would love us. But you know, I don't feel a lot of joy right now. And I need strength, but I don't, man, I don't always necessarily feel it. And where were you, God, when I needed protection? Where were you when I was vulnerable, we may ask? Where were you when I was alone and, and sad and hurting? Where, where are you now? Oh, Lord, be our strength as we rest in promises that we have that you have made, but have not yet fulfilled. Be with our heavy hearts and unbearable burdens, God. Comfort us in our pain and vulnerability, Lord. Be our strength. As I wrestle with my own questions, frustrations, and weakness, as I relate to Ethan the Ezraite, and as I read the words of his poem, his song to the Lord, I am encouraged. For as I sit here all these years in the future, I can, I can see how God kept his promises to David, to Ethan, and to the people of Israel. He just kept them in ways that they didn't expect. He kept them in ways that were way better than they could have imagined. There's a story of a boy who found under the Christmas tree a huge box with his name on it. He was super excited, understandably. He'd asked his parents for a large transformer that year. And his box, this, this box was real big and it was heavy. This was going to be awesome. You could just feel it. And when Christmas morning came around and the boy got to open the box, he, he ripped that wrapping paper off only to find that inside was another box also wrapped. Confused and a little disappointed, but not totally undone, he took this smaller box out and ripped the wrapping paper off, opening it up to find, yet again, a smaller box. And he began to get that sinking feeling in his gut that this probably wasn't that transformer that he had been hoping for. Would it even be a gift that he liked? Quite a few more boxes, and he got to the final box, and it wasn't a box at all, but an envelope. He wanted to cry, but he, he couldn't do that, for it would be too embarrassing. He half-heartedly opened the envelope, and inside was a $50 bill. The boy had never had that much money in his whole life. He was shocked. He was amazed. And then he was overjoyed. This, this gift and the freedom that came with it was so much better than the transformer that he had been hoping for. Ethan and the Israelite people were not expecting the gift that they received. 
When they thought of the promise that God had made to establish the line of David forever and to make his throne firm through all generations, they were thinking of political power. The ability to be free from those who were oppressing them. They were thinking of the physical world. And so they were incredibly confused, hurt, and betrayed when they were overthrown, beaten down, taken advantage of, attacked, and defeated by their enemies. How was this a defeated nation, a throne, or how was this defeated nation, a throne that would last through all generations? How was this a line that would last forever? But now, looking back after all these years, we have a different understanding of the promise that God made to David and to the people of Israel. God didn't promise a political savior. He didn't promise someone that would make life easier for them. He didn't promise someone who would make sure that they were treated the way that they wanted to be treated. He didn't promise them a king that would ensure their respect, that would leave people in awe. Of, of his and of their greatness. He didn't promise them a king that would lead them to earthly prosperity. No, the one that was promised the line of David was born on a cool night, not to great earthly fanfare, not in a beautiful, expensive hospital, not even in a bedroom, not even in a house, but in a stable full of barn animals, their noises and their smell. And there in the manger, the little baby, the savior of the world, Jesus. No, God didn't promise a political savior. God promised a spiritual savior. And that is exactly what Jesus is. He didn't come to govern politics. He didn't come to make sure that there was a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. And as much as we may prefer he did, he didn't come to make sure that those who believed in him escaped harm. He didn't promise to spare those he loves or those who serve him from pain or suffering or abuse. There are times that he does that and there are times that he doesn't. And often we wonder, why? Why don't you spare those you love from pain, depression, anxiety, and abuse? Why? Have you abandoned me? But as much as it may upset us, just as it upset Ethan as he wrote in our text this morning, the reality is that God did not promise to to spare us from the struggles of living an earthly life, but God has promised not to abandon us to them. No matter how much you may feel like it, you are not alone. The God who raised Lazarus from the dead is the same God who cried over his death, felt the pain and loss of his death just before he raised him back. The God who called Israel out of slavery in Egypt is the same God that led them by a pillar of cloud by day, fire by night, and split the Red Sea so that they could cross and provided them with food in the desert. The same God that does not always spare you from the consequences of the sin that has broken this world became a living being, a living human being, born in the lowliest of places, lived a hard human life. 
He went through the things that we go through, was tempted by the things that we are tempted by, was hurt, was teased, was bullied, fell down and scraped his knees, peed his pants as a baby, was fully human, man. He dealt with the few, the flu. He watched loved ones that died. And yet he lived a perfect life. He did not stumble a single time. He did not give in to sin a single time. And then when his time had come, he took everything a step further. He took all of the sin that he didn't commit onto his shoulders. He took all of the sin that you commit, that that I commit, that has been committed against us. He took all of it to the cross and there he died for it, conquering it once and for all. He died with its shame so that we do not need to bear that ourselves. Christ paid for it all. And then he rose again, defeating sin and death. And he has established an eternal throne. One that is firm through all generations. As the poet Ethan wrote in our text this morning. He has established an eternal kingdom and he has called each of us to join him in it. And we do this through faith, not through work, not through merit, not through moral living, but through faith. Through believing that he was who he says he was, that he did what he said he did, and that he will do what he says he will do. And even though we wrestle with him and we wrestle in rage against what he has let us go through in life, even though we yell and scream about how unfair it is and how alone we feel, even though we hurt him with our betrayals, God has grace on us. He does not give up on us. And he is ever pursuing us with his love, calling us into relationship with him. God has not abandoned you. He is right there with you in your struggles. He is feeling your pain with you. He has not abandoned you. He may not have given you the gift that you wanted. But the gift that he has given is so much better than we could have possibly imagined. God kept his promises to David, to Ethan, and to Israel just not the way they expected them to be kept. And because of these promises kept, I am secure in the promises that have been made to me. You are secure in the promises that have been made to you. Promises to love us, to forgive us, that he is preparing a place for us where we will go with him forever. That one day sin and the brokenness of this world will pass away. And in the dawn of that new day, everything will be perfect. I pray that you hold on to these promises. It is my prayer for you that you would lean on Christ in the midst of your hard times. That you would feel his presence and his peace as you live a broken life in this broken world. And it is my prayer for each of us that we would rest in the promises that we have in Scripture. Ethan didn't even realize the extent of the covenant that God made with David as he wrote about it all those years ago. He didn't grasp the fullness 
of all that would come to pass. And you guys, we don't either. We don't either. So let us rest in the promises, even though we do not fully understand them. Let us rest in the promises not yet kept. Let us rest in Christ, the Savior who has come and who is coming again. What a wonderful, fantastic, amazing, and gracious God we serve. Amen. As we respond to the service this morning, the message this morning, the word this morning, let us stand and sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel.